Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Uh, Good to see you guys here. If you guys could stand, uh, I'm going to read the passage for the day. Um, We do this as really as a way of honor and a way of honoring the Lord and and being thankful that he has um, given us his word. And so this is um, 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 17. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you guys can have a seat. Sometimes the word of the Lord that says stuff that's hard to understand. Can I get an amen to that? Yes. You got anything like particular that comes to your mind straight away of things that is in the word of the Lord, but you have a hard time understanding? Anybody got anything they want to throw out there? I got a, anything in Deuteronomy. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I got a, I got a handful. Uh, y'all, I, uh, I was thinking about this and I thought if, if I were asking someone like, if I didn't believe this stuff and I ha- were asking someone like me questions about the Bible, the first thing I might ask about is the very beginning of Genesis where people live for 900 years. That has always been like, what is that? And this is, this is God's word and I believe it's true. Um, but I don't know how to make sense of that. I don't know why anyone would make that up, you know, unless it was true. And so that is, there's some befuddling things in there. That's at the beginning, at the end. Most of the things surrounding the second coming of Jesus, you know, coming on a white horse, the rapture, all that stuff is really, really difficult to understand. Uh, the rapture in particular, um, you know, they made a, a whole set of books and then movies and I don't know if you remember the bumper stickers around the rapture a few years ago, like in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. Then there was in case of rapture, can I have your car? And then there was in case of rapture, this car will go careening off into the sidewalk and run over a child. Like, hey, Christian, think about what you're saying there, you know, which was really a good note to the Christians to think about that stuff. But it's, it, says, it says difficult things. And so this passage, um, I've, I've known this is coming the whole time we're doing First Peter, and I'm like, what do, what do I do with this passage? And so um, the question that, that comes up in the passage is, is really what happened to Jesus in between, between the time when he died and the time that he rose. And in the Apostles' Creed, it says that Jesus descended into hell. And what, is it, what does it mean? Now, the, the point of my message is not going to be um, to resolve this or to, um, to answer a Bible trivia question. Uh, that's not where I'm going to spend my time doing. But it's there, and we're going through the book of First Peter, and it's in the book of 1 Peter, so we're, we should look at it. And this, what I found with this particular question was um, myself and a few other people I talked to, but the extent to which I was, the extent to which I wanted a certain answer to be true about that question led me to the rest of the passage 
and expose some things in my heart and gets me to the point of the sermon, which is really about the, like, the justice of God and is God fair and can we trust him? And so that's where this is headed. But the part of the passage that's, that brings up the question, for me at least, is being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit in which Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Okay, so I read a bunch of commentaries about this. One commentator said that his position was the minority position, but that's because everybody's position is the minority position because there's no consensus about what this means. And so it's all over. I went down this rabbit hole deep, you know? And so one of the, one of the speculations is that Jesus went into what we, like when we say hell, what we think of, and he went into hell, and he preached the gospel to um, spirits, to people that had passed on to the spiritual realm, to spirits, and presumably emptied the place out. Because if you were in hell and you heard the gospel, you'd be like, get your stuff, we're out. And so you would go, you know. Um, I, that's, I don't think that's it. Uh, and I found myself pretty disappointed that that wasn't the answer to it. And that's where I'm going to end up going. But, but I don't think that's it for a couple different reasons. This this is alluded to in the next chapter in 1 Peter, and the word that they use for, there are two words for hell in the New Testament, Gehenna, which is, was a, um, a um, trash dump that burned continually outside Jerusalem, and that's what we typically think of when we think of hell, and there's Hades, which is Sheol from the Old Testament, and that's where, where dead people go until God decides, tells everybody what he's going to do with them, and, and this is referring to Sheol and not to um, Gehenna, so that's one reason, and then the time frame put on it in dealing with the people that disobeyed during the time of Noah doesn't make sense if Jesus went to hell and preached to people he only preached to the people from the time of Noah but the rest of the people live like you people close your ears that that just doesn't make sense and so that was not uh, the answer there's another theory that Jesus suffering was not complete when he was on the cross and so he had to go to hell to complete his suffering and these are smart people that put these things out here you know smarter than me and bigger degrees but I don't think that's I don't think that's um good hypothesis for it. There's some handful that said what they think is happening here, and you really have to dig into this to see this, but that Jesus is not preaching between his death and resurrection, but Jesus in his spirit was preaching to these folks, uh, these spirits in the time of Noah. So it happened in a different time frame, and I don't think that's a good answer. And the best answer that, that made the most sense to me was that spirits, the word spirits, in the New Testament, doesn't refer to people that move on to the spiritual realm, but spiritual beings. So it refers to angels um, exclusively in the New Testament. And there were angels in the time of Noah that were doing bad things that God like, put into a form of prison. And Peter, in his next letter, Second Peter, uh, says this, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness... Um, and he refers to the time of Noah, so he's referred to this in other places. And there's a book circulating in the time of when, when First Peter would be writing called First Enoch that refers to um, this type of thing. And all that together would tell you that Jesus went to wherever those spir spirits were imprisoned and just preached to them that he had won the victory um, on the cross. Now, that's what makes the most sense. Why Peter felt the need to throw that into this letter and what it meant to those people, I have no idea. We're not going to talk about it anymore because I don't think we'll ever figure it out. And honestly, I don't think it makes a huge amount of difference. Uh, but what did make a difference was I found myself disappointed that Jesus 
then go to go to hell, um, preach the gospel, and empty the place out. Um, you start talking about things in the Bible that you have a hard time making sense of, and, and hell should probably be at the top of everybody's list. Like hell bothers me, and it doesn't bother me in the way of how could God do that, or how could you believe in a God that could do that. Um, it bothers me in a like I just can't. I just can't. It's so troubling that I can't fathom it because uh, I, the more I think about it, the more I do believe in it and the more it makes like a lot of sense to me. And if I could, if I could boil that way down, like sin has consequences. Um, the first thing, if you have kids, the first thing you teach your kids is that you love them. The next thing that you teach your kids are like take responsibility for your actions. Your actions have consequences and if you don't learn to take responsibility for your actions, your life is going to be a train wreck. Can I get another amen, right? If you don't take responsibility for your actions, your life is going to be a train wreck. And um, hell is like that principle writ large. Actions have consequences. You have to take your responsibility for your actions. And when you don't, you create a little bit of hell right here on earth, right? I mean, earth is... Our time here is filled with glimpses of heaven and glimpses of hell. And it feels like we get a picture of what both of them are. And we can create a little bit of hell. And it's not, the Bible's telling us um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not possible to take responsibility for all your actions, to put that genie in, back in the bottle. And so God took those consequences for you in Christ. But if you don't accept that, he will let you take responsibility for them. And that will be hell. And I don't, it's inescapable. We can talk about that if you have questions about it. It's just hard to get around the more I think about it. But the idea that they're eternal is just too much to fathom. Like, it's so much. And so I find myself wanting to believe that there's a way other than the gospel for people to be reconciled to God. Like I am looking for a loophole, you know? And in that, I find myself like thinking, is God fair? Is God being fair? And I'm honest with myself. And I thought that's a big problem. And there's this irony of me, of this passage, bringing up my trust is used with God when it, it talks about God's justice as explicitly as any other passage. So this is how, this, how he starts this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That is an ex as explicit a statement of the gospel as you'll get in the Bible. And it is, if God wasn't concerned about justice, about being fair, he never would have put Jesus on the cross. Like, that's why he put them there. And so the problem is not God's capacity for justice. The problem is my capacity. God is. Um, and I, I almost skipped this passage. Uh, well, it's the gospel, and I preach the gospel every week, and some Bible trivia, like, why do we need to do that? And then I thought, you're going to skip this passage. You want them to fire you? God to, like, smite you? You know, like, what do you want to have happen here? Um, and so I want to talk about the justice of God in this, and then, and, and why it matters. Um, I was driving by North Hills a couple years ago. I was driving by North Hills um, recently where the Jason Hill 
And what's where the JCPenney used to be? What's there? A giant hole in the ground uh, behind a construction fence. When you see a giant hole in the ground, what do you think's coming? Giant buildings. Because the deeper the foundation, the more you can build on top of that foundation. And so when we have questions like this about God that linger, like, is God fair? Like, really what we're asking is, can, is, can, what, can I trust him? And the depth of your foundation with him is going to dictate the size of the building that you can build on top of that foundation. And so th to the extent that these questions linger for us, we're not going to trust him with the things that matter on Monday, you know, like throughout the week. And you may come to church now and again, but you may not trust him when it comes to like the big decisions in your life or even like decisions about am I going to forgive that person the way that Christ has forgiven me? Um, am I going to trust God with my time? Am I going to trust God with my money? Am I going to trust God with my decisions? Dictated by these types of questions about who do I understand God to be? So this verse gripped me. For Christ also suffered once Righteous to the unrighteous. Christ suffered. Pretty basic Christianity. We can take this for granted. Christ suffered. He didn't have to suffer, but he suffered. He suffered cold, he suffered hunger, am I, am I not? He suffered hunger, he suffered pain, uh, he was poor. He suffered poverty. He, he knew what it meant to not know where your next meal is coming from. He suffered uh, racism. He was a Jewish man in a Roman Empire and suffered discrimination because of that. He suffered um, uh, he, he was misunderstood. Um, he was misrepresented. Social media would have had a field day with Jesus. Um, he was uh, used for other people's selfish purposes. Like he knew the trap of celebrity. Um, he was betrayed by a good friend. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was tortured. And he was nailed to a cross uh, to die from what ultimately was um, suffocation, like the worst death we've come up with in how many ever thousand years of human history. He died. God suffered death. Um, the older I get, the, like the, the closer death gets. And I don't think about it for me. I'm not that old yet, you know. <laughs> but for people close to me, you see it coming. For people like I was watching a Clint Eastwood movie the other day, and I thought, that dude's really old. Like, those people that were young when I was young now are, like, dying, and death is there. 
And we know, we know all these things. Like, we have to suffer all these things. He didn't have to suffer all these things. He chose to suffer all these things. And the end, this verse says, he also suffered. And the also is because the context of this is some suffering that these Christians are going through. Uh, so are you suffering? Jesus chose to find out what it's like to suffer. Do you wonder if your suffering is fair? Is it fair that God let you suffer in the way that you are suffering? Because we're all suffering in some way. What changes things when you realize that Jesus suffered when he didn't have to, and he knows what your suffering is? Christ suffered. Christ suffered once. The... Um, the Old Testament has a dizzying system of sacrifices. In fact, almost every religion has a dizzying system of sacrifices uh, because they know sin has consequences and that something else has to take the consequences for us. We started a Bible reading program. We started a few of them this week. Join in on them. Uh, one is a short one um, for the month of February until we get to Lent, and the other one is a two-year and a lot of people signed up for both, but a two-year through the Bible program. We'll see how many people make it through not Deuteronomy, but Leviticus. Because Leviticus is where they start talking about burnt offerings and sin offerings and grain offerings and peace offerings uh, and, and all these different things. And they're going to burn wheat and they're going to burn sheep and they're going to burn cows and they're going to burn birds and they're like chickmunks. Whatever they can find, they're going to burn them. Like the, the temple in Jerusalem was like a 24-7 barbecue joint. And those priests ate some of that food. I bet they got good at that. I bet they were like pit masters, you know? And it was the, they had to bring the best of their livestock. And so I bet they're like, oh, man, <laughs> this little rack on that cow is going to be amazing. Uh, like they knew what it was because it was sin after sin after sin, and it was a visceral way to experience that there are consequences and expensive. Like if you screwed something up, you're like, oh, now we got to take another sheep to the temple, you know? Um, and God was communicating to us, sin has consequences, and something else can pay it for you. Uh, and our sin is dizzying to him. But Jesus suffered once. We don't do that anymore. And we don't do that anymore because his sacrifice was enough to pay the consequences for all of our sins. Jesus suffered once for sin. He suffered once for sin. I... Um, I heard someone reference this article from The Economist, which is um, a, a big magazine I don't read. But um, they, they were, the article was titled, The Church of England's God is Becoming More Liberal. And so this is how the reporter started the article. Smiting used to be so simple. God smote, and the people trembled, and they sometimes died. He smote the rebellious Israelites. Tens of thousands died. The firstborn Egyptians, they all died. And the Philistines, they got hemorrhoids. The Sodomites suffered a particularly striking smiting. In Genesis, the men of Sodom are wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly, so God rained brimstone and fire upon Sodom. Few in Britain celebrate a smitey almighty today. God, as the Archbishop of Canterbury put it recently, is love. I thought, this is such a horrible reading of the Bible <laughs> that God has changed. I mean, God, when Moses... It sees him, declares himself to be, you know, full of, of loving kindness and patience, um, but not willing to, to let sin go unpunished, you know, but he's patient and patient and patient. And what, what probably struck me the most about it is that the folks that, that 
wrote it, don't think that we smite anybody anymore. Do we smite people now? Do we smite sinners in our culture? This is what cancel culture is, is we decide who's righteous and who's unrighteous and what the punishment is going to be. And I guarantee the folks that wrote this are still super concerned about justice, and we may be collectively as concerned about justice as we ever have been, which is a great thing. The difference is we differ on which actions, you know, deserve are just and unjust, and who decides what the consequences are. God's wrath didn't disappear between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus takes God's wrath. Like, that's the difference. Christ suffered once for sin, and his wrath was satisfied on the cross. Isaiah 53 says this, but he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He suffered once for our sins. Um, There's a song that we sing that has a refrain, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. The the book of Hebrews says every priest stands daily at his service. And these are the Old Testament priests offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected, For all time, those who are being sanctified. Uh, Christ suffered once for sins. And then the righteous for the unrighteous. He didn't deserve to suffer. His suffering was, was undeserved. And so Christ was righteous, but we were unrighteous. And I think this is the biggest, like, stumbling block that we have with this. Um... Not that Christ was righteous, but the, but the depth of our unrighteousness. And so Christ was righteous, and so that's, again, basic Christianity. And yet, I think this is something we really take for granted, because I couldn't find anybody else in history that has the claim to be sinless. Like, it's a pretty big claim. Uh, Buddha didn't claim to be sinless. You can read about early in Buddha's life, he was not sinless. And they do away with the concept of sin in Buddhism. So it's a little bit different, but karma is there, which, in, you know, involves what comes around goes around. There's consequences. Um, Muhammad was not sinless. The Quran doesn't say Muhammad was sinless. The Quran teaches Muhammad to ask forgiveness for his own sins. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation, the Jewish religion. He certainly wasn't um, sinless. Joseph Smith wasn't sinless. None of them were, but Jesus was. Jesus was. Why? Uh, Why did he need to be sinless? I couldn't come up with like the, the best example of this, but if you got arrested for something and they were going to send you to jail, um, and, and a, a buddy of yours out of the goodness of their heart said, you know what, I don't want you to go to jail, I'm going to go to jail for you. Like, a judge probably isn't going to let that happen, but they could, you know. But if a buddy of yours that's already in jail says, you know what, I'll go to jail for you. Well, like, well, that's rich because you're already in jail, and like, you can't go to jail for somebody because you're already in jail. We're all in jail. And Jesus isn't in jail, so he's the only one that can go to jail for us, right? Someone righteous was the only one that could take the consequence for those of us that are unrighteous. 
thought again of the end of the Dark Knight, uh, where the Batman movie, where Harvey Dent, they're trying to redeem his uh, reputation, and so they end up casting the sins of Harvey Dent onto Batman, and they say, we're going to chase him down because he can take it, because he's strong enough. We, we, in, we just instinctively know this, you know, but it's the gospel. It's the gospel. So he's righteous, but we're not righteous. And I had to cut this section back because there's so many ways I could illustrate this. I mentioned this last week, that there is the religion of our day um, is a, a, a sociologist from, from Notre Dame labeled it moralistic therapeutic deism. And so I brought this up last week. And, um, and this is when I say the rise of the nuns, people that claim no religious affiliation, this is, they're not atheists, this is what they believe. Um, and it's kind of a Unitarian religion. And so the first principle of it is that a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Okay, we can, I, well, I can get with that. The second principle is God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most other world religions, which I think I can get with that too. The third principle is we really start to diverge. The central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. Now, I can get this because we live in a therapeutic society, and we all do. God wants you to be happy and to feel good about yourself, but, like, sin is a problem that he's taken care of, and this is, we don't acknowledge that, you know? And this doesn't, like, if that's your primary goal in life, it doesn't, narcissism is not a good strategy for a happy life, like, or maybe for you, but not for anybody around you, which means not for you either. Like, it just doesn't work, you know? And the fourth principle um, is that God does not need to be particularly involved with one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Um, that's not true. Uh, and the whole Bible is like, in, in a way, you can look at it as like God's presence with us, it, like his desire to be with us and what he'll do to, to make it possible for us to be with us, he, be with him. He wants us to be with, with him all the time. And then the fifth one is that good people go to heaven when they die. And this, again, like we just don't want to admit the magnitude of the problem that we have. Um, we want to think of ourselves as righteous, as good enough. Uh, we drifted into this religion because we don't like hearing that the righteous Jesus needed to die for us, the unrighteous. Someone will take responsibility for your actions. Um, I've, I've used this illustration a few times before, but the chore chart in, in our house, uh, we have a chore chart. It's pretty simple. It's like trash and dishes um, and vacuuming, and, it, and it's remarkably difficult, apparently, um, just to get those basic chores done. But if you don't do that, the house fills up with trash, and everybody gets mad at each other, and it's a little bit of hell in our house. And it might be a little bit of hell in our house right now because of our chore chart, you know? Um, because typically, people don't want to take responsibility for... <laughs> having done or not done their chores. And typically it's like, no, it's not my day to do that. Like I didn't just look at the chore chart. Like I'm a complete idiot who can't read the thing, you know? Um, but we just, and so it creates tension. The Bible in some ways is like God's big chore chart that says this is the way everything works. And we are like the kids that are saying, nope, it's not me. I didn't do it. They must have did it. Like we just don't want to take responsibility for it. And the world is the house and it's filling up with trash and everybody's getting angry at each other. The reality of that in a household, in a marriage, in a friendship, in a workplace, um, when you don't metaphorically do the dishes, and someone either has to keep telling you to do them or doing them for you, 
um, is it puts a strain on your relationship that eventually will get to a breaking point if, if it doesn't get fixed. Consequences always go someplace. And he is saying throughout the scripture over and over and over again, those consequences can go to Jesus. We can't, that's just impossible to totally comprehend. Like A, that we could be that bad that God needed to send his son to die on a cross and B, that his son's death on the cross could take that. We can't, we have to trust God with that. Um, but we just have a hard time getting that. I started thinking about, um, strangely, golf. So how many of you have ever golfed much? You golf for a little while and you get your swing down, you know, you keep your head straight, you keep your eye on the ball, you get your hips opening up, like you can hit some shots. And after you've hit the shots, like after you've hit one on the green close to the hole, after you've hit a drive and you stop slicing, you get a little draw, after you play putt-putt enough and you can make a 15-foot putt, you start thinking, I could do this for a living. You know what I mean? Because you've hit every shot once. It's just that you can't keep hitting them consistently. Uh, um, I'm, this may come as a surprise to you. I'm not a real big guy. And... Uh, and so I had a buddy in college named Mike Morgan from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, Mike went to Louisville Male High School. He was a big old country boy. He played like 17 sports in high school um, and went to college to play baseball. And we're playing golf once, and I, I'm a pretty good golfer. I launched a drive. And he looked over at me, and he said one of the nicest things anybody's ever said to me. He said, for a little guy, you can ton the ball. And I'm like, yes, I can. I, uh, I was at a golf charity thing years ago now, and the guy that invited me was, worked for a cell phone company. He was sponsoring the long drive contest. You know what the long drive contest is? You need to help me out because I need to describe it if you don't raise your hand. Uh, and so, it, the, so on a particular hole, whoever you just keep marking whoever had the longest drive, writing your name down, and then you want a cell phone. So I get up there and... Um, and I just launched one, came out of my shoes, launched one. There's a trap on the right-hand side of the fairway, and it's got a little berm on it, and I hit it with a draw, and I hit it at the top of the berm on the back side of it, and it just shot down. Like, it was a great drive anyway, but it just went, you know, for days. And so I mark it, put my name on it, Jeff Ramsey. We get to the end of the thing, and after the golf tournament like that, everyone's in there. I'm eating and drinking and waiting, and they're like the closest to the pin, that's fine. Everybody's waiting for the long drive contest. Like, that's what you want to win. And so they call my name, Jeff Ramsey. I'm like, yes, I did. That was awesome. But the problem is I'm not a very big guy. And so all the big guys are like, there's no way you did that. You know what I mean? Like, they still think I cheated and just put it wherever I wanted it to be. You get golfing like that, and you start thinking, I could be a professional golfer. Like, if my dad had just joined the country club when I was a kid, if I hadn't quit the golf team after my freshman year in high school because I kept wrapping clubs around trees because I got so mad when I played golf, I could have been the next Tiger Woods or the first Tiger Woods because I'm older than him. But you know what I mean. And I think this is how we are with sin. We think, I, I could not sin. You know, I've gone a few days without saying mean things to the people in my house, without getting like super angry and just losing it. I've gone like a week or two even. Uh, I've resisted temptation for a fair amount of time. I've helped that lady across the street. Like, there's good 
you know, I can do this. We grew up reading the little engine that could, and, and so we think we can. The problem is we don't, and we're not exactly sure why. We think we could be, but we aren't. And in reality, we aren't because we can't be. Uh, C.S. Lewis that said, you don't know how bad you are until you try really hard to be good. You know, if I had tried to be a pro golfer, my family would have gone hungry and my wife would have left me because <laughs> it would not have happened. Um, I, over the past few years, I think I probably thought about hell as much as I've thought about anything revolving around our faith and, and preaching. Um, Lewis said that, that the doors to hell are locked from the inside. He said there's two types of people, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. I think what he's saying is if we don't pay attention to God, listen to God, trust God, want relationship with God, want his kingdom more than our kingdom here while we're on earth. Why would we think that we would want that when we're done with our time on earth or that he's going to force himself on us? But the popular conception of heaven, I think, is for our own individual kingdom, like the kingdom of Jeff. It's going to be, I get whatever I want, whenever I want it, like the Burger King commercial or whatever that was, you know? Um, but that won't work. Like, that's what we're trying to do right now. And we're not getting along real well while we're trying to do that. Uh, we think it might work then, but it's either because we think those people will be gone or because we think that we'll make a good God. But we won't. For things to be different there than they are here, things are going to have to change. We're going to have to change in massive ways that we can't conceive of what the change is or how, much, how it's going to happen. And God's going to have to do it. And that's what he's offering in Christ. Is new life in a resurrected Christ, by the power of the Spirit, to start becoming the people that, that fit in heaven. It's going to be God's kingdom, where God gets things his way, and his way is going to be so much better than our way. What convicted me this week, as much as anything, is like, how much am I still just seeking my own kingdom and not his kingdom? And how much, like, I need the righteous to die for the unrighteous. That he might bring me to God. Christ suffered once for our sins to bring us to God. That is good news. To bring us to God. I read someone this week that said Christianity does not think of a man finally submitting to the power of God. It thinks of him as finally surrendering to the love of God. It's not that a man's will is crushed. 
but his heart is broken. God did this because he wants you to be with him. And this is what was necessary. And we can understand that in part, but not in full. Uh, but we can trust it. He goes on and says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body. It's not like a bath, you know? It's not magic water. But as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven. It's an appeal. I sent out a sermon from a pastor down the street um, this week about sacraments, and sacrament is, the word means holy mystery. And the sacraments we practice are baptism and communion. And baptism is a bit of a mystery. It's a picture of what has happened in Christ for us, that, that in Christ, when we accept that Christ died once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God, and that's the path. And it's an invitation, and we receive it. That when that happens, um, as Paul says, the old has passed away, behold, boom, the new has come. We become new creations in him. And so baptism is this picture where we have died with Christ, and we have been raised to new life in Christ. And our sins are washed away, and we're made new in him. If you have you've never received that, if you've never accepted that reality, which is the, the fundamental reality that is presented throughout the whole book. Um, as Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now back to the, my question, is God fair? And like what I find myself, my foundation weakening on, like is God fair? I may not understand all the dynamics of that, <laughs> I can look at Jesus, and I can understand his story, and I can understand why we need that, and think, man, if God's not concerned about fairness and justice, that's a whole lot to go through to not be concerned about it. God is absolutely 1,000% fair and just, and we can trust him with everything. He is more concerned about justice as much as we want to talk about it. He has done it. Um, more concerned about justice than we ever will be. And Peter ends this passage by saying he is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And so he has all authority and he is in control of all things and he can be trusted with all that we give him. Um, the guys are going to come back up and lead us in a few more songs. Uh, the other holy mystery that we participate in each week is uh, communion. And we do that because it's easy to forget the gospel. Like, it's not easy to forget the gospel in your head and how it works. I think it's easy to forget it, like, in your heart 
and in your soul, um, and the, the depth to which he loves us and the depth to which we needed it. So we're, gonna, we're moving back towards um, before COVID, we would come up and we would receive communion or um, it, in some way, shape, or form of doing this on our own. And so during these next few songs, when you're ready, I'd invite you to take off the top of this and, and take the body of Christ or this wafer, which represents the body of Christ, which was broken for us, and drink um, from the juice, which is his blood that has been uh, shed for us. Father, thank you that you loved us enough that Christ suffered that he suffered for our sin that he suffered once that he doesn't have to do it again and we don't have to suffer because he suffered for us and that he suffered because you loved us and you wanted to bring us to yourself and this was what was necessary thank you that you love us in Jesus name